You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. My name is Jake Hotchkiss. I'm an associate pastor here at Schweitzer. It is such a blessing to be here with you this morning, diving into God's word. We are in the second of a week, the second week of a four-week series called Not For Me that we just saw a video for. And here's the idea of the series. It's that we as Christians are, are called to live lives not for me, right? Not for ourselves. It's this very thing about Jesus's life, one among many things, but I think it's this very thing um, that most inspires not only Christians, but all people about the life that Jesus lived, is that um, it was a life of service, of selflessness, um, of sacrifice, even, in, even till the end, even unto death, right? Um, and this is the life that we Christians are called to live. But uh, to go even a little bit further about what this series is about, it's, it's the idea that we don't start living this kind of not-for-me life, right, this selfless uh, life of service and of sacrifice, we don't start living that kind of life just by trying to, right, just by trying a little bit harder, just because we decide we want to. Um, even Jesus, right, needed uh, spiritual practices. He needed certain disciplines to where he was uh, grounded in the will of God, to where he was filled with the spirit of God um, and actually able to live that sort of life. And if Jesus needed to do those uh, specific things, and we definitely need to do those specific things, right? And so last week, we talked about prayer, the importance of prayer in living a life of selflessness. Um, this week, we're going to talk about scripture. What is the role of scripture, reading scripture, memorizing scripture, internalizing scripture, knowing scripture, living of life put forth by scripture, what does all of that have to do with living this Christian life and walking in the way of Christ? And so I'm excited to get into this. Um, the scripture we're going to be reading today is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I think most of you will be familiar with this passage. This is uh, Jesus in the desert, right? So Jesus has just been baptized. He's not yet begun his ministry. Um, you know, the, the voice from heaven came down and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then right after Jesus is baptized, the, the spirit rests on him and the spirit leads him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. Okay. And so that's the scripture that we're in. Well, let's, let's read through it here together. Um, oh, and I will say this about is that this is Jesus's preparation for ministry which makes it all the more pertinent, I think, to what we're talking about in that Jesus was, was not uh, 
able to go out and serve and fulfill his calling in this way until he was prepared in the way we are about to read. So verse 1, here we go. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put your Lord, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, for the third time, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So three times we see Jesus here tempted by the devil, trying to get him to, to sway or swerve off of course. And Jesus responds with the words three times, it is written. The scripture, the word of God that he had internalized and known so well. We're going to look at each of these three temptations today. I think each one has some special insight for us. Here's the first. The devil says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. I'm going to call this the temptation of self-preservation or self-reliance. After 40 days and after 40 nights of fasting, I can't think of anything that would be more tempting than, than a nice, warm, freshly made loaf of bread, except maybe death. That might actually be more tempting. <laughs> uh, but bread, how tempting this would be after 40 days, 40 nights of fasting. Um, but, but you see, the temptation here is deeper. The temptation here isn't just food. It's not just about having something to eat. The real temptation for Jesus was to take matters into his own hands. He says, if you're the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. It's another way of saying, if you're capable which you ought to be, which I certainly believe Jesus was capable of finding food, of making food, of making something out of nothing right, then do it. Preserve yourself. Take care of yourself. Take control of this situation, right? That's the deeper temptation. But the very reason that Jesus is out here fasting is to discipline or to train his mind, his body, his spirit to rely wholly on God before he goes into ministry. And so the devil's over here saying it, Stop relying on God. It's been 40 days. Just take, take matters into your own hands. The devil knows that if he can get Jesus to rely on his own powers and on his own strength and to keep him from relying fully on the word of God, to keep him from relying fully on God himself, then he can compromise his entire ministry. Isn't that Interesting. And what might that say 
about our ministry and about our lives. Jesus responds, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Or in other words, Jesus says, God alone is the source of life. God alone is the source of happiness. God alone is the source of my well-being. What a different narrative the world teaches us, right? What a different narrative this is than the one that the world teaches us. The world teaches us to fend for ourselves. The world teaches us to rely on our own capabilities, to go out and get what we want, right? The world teaches us to take control, to be the maker of our own destiny and to take control of our own life, right? This is the wisdom of the world. And this whole mentality is just a repeat of the Tower of Babel or Babel. If you know that story in Genesis chapter 11, right? It's it's one of my favorite biblical stories because it just like, it is so true to our human nature and that all the people, they spoke one language, they all lived in one place, it says at this, at this point in human history, and uh, they worked together. There was nothing they couldn't do, it says there, right? Um, in their own strength even. And so they worked together and they build this tower up into the heavens for their own glory, it says. So out of their own strength, for their own glory, they build this tower, convinced that they're doing something great. And what does God do? He crushes their plans and he, he, he tears down the tower and he scatters them across the face of the earth and he confuses their language. And it's just God saying, you can't do anything really apart from me. You may have all of these capabilities, but I want you, I have designed you. I've designed this whole system for you to rely on me. That's what God is trying to teach us in that story in Genesis 11 and all throughout scripture. And what I want to ask you this morning is if you're not grounded in scripture, if you're not grounded in that narrative, in that truth that God puts forth all throughout the storyline of scripture, um, then how do you keep from being influenced by the worldly wisdom that says to take control of your own life and to take your destiny and, you know, uh, to be the maker of your own destiny? take matters into your own hands, to rely on your own strength. How do you not be swayed by that? Because it's so, I mean, I, if you're anything like me, this is one of the, the greatest temptations in the world. Especially when we're in, in seasons like of, of deserts, you know, those metaphorical deserts, if you will, when we're incredibly weak. You see the scriptures, They reveal to us this entirely different truth. The scriptures reveal to us a people who can do nothing apart from God. They reveal to us a God who actually provides all that his people need and a God who cares for his people. They reveal to us a God who delivers his people from slavery and a God who, who cares so much that he provides bread from heaven for his people in the desert and water out of nowhere. A God who sent his one and only son to save, to heal, to deliver, to conquer, to die. The scriptures reveal a God who can take care of this. The scriptures bring us back again and again and again to the fact that God alone provides, that he alone is a source of life and happiness. The scriptures, they reveal that the way of life is really surrender. It's not control. It's not turn these stones into bread and and take matters into your own hands. 
It's surrender. It is full reliance on God. It is trust. It is faith. That's the way of the righteous. It's the way of faith, the way of trust. And how ought we to know this? How ought we to live this way if we are not filling ourselves and reminding ourselves again and again and again with the narrative that Scripture puts forth? There's just no other way to know this than the fact that God tells us this about him and about us. You see, here's how this helps us be selfless then, is that um, when we're grounded in this reality, only then can we freely and joyfully fix our attention on God. Like, it, we can stop trying to provide for ourselves and be inwardly focused. And only, only when we know that God provides can we actually focus on God and others freely without having to worry about taking care of all of our own needs, you know? Without worry. Without anxiety, we can be truly selfless. When we buy in to this kingdom perspective. Next, the devil takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And he quotes a couple scriptures basically saying, if you're the son of God and you throw yourself down, then God will send angels to save you, right? Why don't you do this and prove who you are? I, I will say, I just had this thought this morning and I'm not going to like really expound on it because I haven't been able to give it enough thought. I wonder here if, if this temptation, or at least part of it, may have actually been to end his life. I've never thought of this before, but you have the self-preservation the, in the first temptation, right? Like turn these stones into bread, keep yourself alive. And, but then there's this kind of jokingly when I said, you know, the only thing that might be more tempting than bread is death. <laughs> well, right here he's jump off the pinnacle of this temple, right? And it's like, if I'm 40 days, 40 nights, no food, I'm on the brink of, you know, not living much longer. I'd probably be thinking that's, that sounds pretty tempting to put an end to it. So anyway, I just, there may be really some, something there for you guys to, um, and for any, any who've, who've suffered with, with, uh, the temptations, the feelings, whatever of, of not wanting to live anymore. I'm Jesus, man. Wow. Can he empathize? Um, so that's, that's an aside. Here's what I also what I think might be happening here, though, is that he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off here and see if God will save you. Um, in other words, if you are the son of God, prove it. If you're the son of God, the devil says, prove it and see if God really saves you. And what the devil is doing here is he is challenging Jesus' own sense of identity. Because remember, just prior to these 40 days, what had happened? He'd been baptized, the heavens had opened, God the Father spoke down from those heavens and he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus heard the audible voice of God. And guys, remember, he was human too, right? So this was just as awesome for him as it would have been for us, right? And so he hears the voice of God speak this into his life. You're my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And just 40 days later, the devil is saying, if you're really his son, then throw yourself off. He's, ch he's challenging. He's giving Jesus a reason to doubt, a reason to test, right? Um, he's putting into question the very words that God spoke over Jesus and his life about who Jesus was. Now, I think the, the devil does this to us all the time in various ways. I don't know that we can fully relate to um, 
Jesus' identity as the son of God. We're certainly children. We can relate in that way, but his is somewhat unique. All right, but I think we can relate uh, to our own sense of identity being put into question. Here's what I mean. Here are a few examples. Um, You ever heard the devil say to you, just whisper in your ear, if you're truly a Christian, if you're truly saved, then shouldn't you be like reading your Bible more? In fact, you may be hearing the devil whisper that in your ear this morning by the time that I'm done talking about scripture, right? Uh, If you're truly a Christian, shouldn't you be reading your Bible a little bit more? And one of the reasons this is so tempting is because there's a lot of truth in that, right? Like there's all sorts of things that we should be doing if, if we're truly Christian. But the temptation here is, is to respond by going out and, in this case, reading our Bible more in an effort to prove that we are, in fact, what God simply says we are. And so we spend so much of our time, so much of our lives trying to prove uh, ourselves to whomever, whether it be Satan or others or ourselves, you know, and our own sense of identity when God just says, this is who you are. And so what we might respond if, we, if we're grounded in scripture, what we might respond to the devil in that case is uh, like, like the Ephesians 2, uh, 8 passage, I believe, where he says, uh, um, it is by grace through faith that you are saved. And this is not your own doing, but a gift of God. It is by grace through faith that I am saved. And this is not my own doing. This is a gift of God. And so I speak that to you, Satan. No, I'm saved because God says I am, because I believe, because he has done this work. This is a work of grace. And yeah, I'm gonna go read my scripture more anyway, but not to prove to you or to anyone, right? So you see how it purifies our motives. So we're not doing things so as to prove who God says we already are. Um, you, ever heard, uh, you ever heard Satan say, this is maybe another example, if you're truly a good person, you know, then you should X, Y, Z. And I just, I think of, man, if you know scripture, you probably remember this one, where uh, someone says to Jesus, he says, good teacher. And what does Jesus say in response to, to him being called good teacher? He says, why do you call me good? This is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, friends. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Wow, is that a different narrative than what the world tells us, than what our culture tells us, right? Where you have good people and you have bad. No, scripture from front to back says we're all bad. (laughs) Like every single one of us is sinners. There aren't good people and bad people. There are bad people and a good God. End of story, right? This is like... (laughs) Thanks, sister. <laughs> and so we don't respond to this by giving into the temptation to go out and prove that we're good when cl- Scripture clearly says we're not. We're sinners yet saved. God loves us and he's intending to make us good, but it's all by our own grace and power and who he says we are. Again, are you rooted and grounded in this truth? The devil might say, if you're really lovable, if you're really lovable, then shouldn't others be treating you a certain way? If you're really lovable, then shouldn't God accept this certain thing that you're doing or this, you know? Um, and again, we just go back to scriptures. 
you're grounded in the scriptures, you know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we know that the, um, there is no greater example of love and to sacrifice one's life for a friend, and that God did that for us, you know? If you're grounded in scripture, you know that God, you know that you're lovable because God says he loves you. And the greatest example of this was that he he died on a cross for you. (laughs) End of story, you're lovable. End of story, God loves you. If you're anything like me, you spend far too much of your time trying to prove yourself and trying to earn the right to be called the very thing that God says you already are. You're beloved, you're saved, you're beautiful. Stop proving it. All this striving, you see, all of this striving just turns us inward and makes us self-centered. All of this trying to prove these things, it makes us self-centered. And when we begin to believe and to trust in the promises of God and the word of God that he has spoken over us about our identity, that self-centeredness, it goes away. We, don't, we have nothing to prove anymore. And it purifies our motives because then we can, we can serve God, we can serve people and love people and care for people. And we can do all of this with, with a pure heart without the need to prove anything. Isn't that wonderful? Lastly, third temptation here. The devil takes Jesus to a high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, all their glory. Imagine that, all of this. And he says, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. So last but not least, Jesus, he's tempted with all the power, all the riches, all the wealth and the glory in the world. All he must do is bend a knee. And for the third time, he returns to scripture. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, I can't say that I've ever been tempted to worship Satan directly. Maybe some of you have. I mean, there really is satanic worship, right? I mean, that's a thing. I've never been there But I've certainly been tempted with the riches and the power and the glory and the kingdoms of this world. I think we all have. (laughs) I think we struggle with this temptation daily. And here's the thing, is that what Scripture reveals through and through is that these two things aren't really all that different. This is kind of a scary thought, but I'm going to, this is what, this is Scripture, Even in the church, I think we believe the lie that we can seek the riches of this world while also seeking the riches of the kingdom. But all of this, you see, it's it's idol worship. And it is no different, as we see right here, than, than worshiping Satan himself. It may feel far less of a big deal. It may feel far less evil, but that's just because Satan's really good at painting turds gold. That's the truth. We are subject to believing that we can do self-pursuit and God-pursuit at the same time. And it's not true. It is not true, friends. Scripture tells us we must lose our lives. Scripture tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all else 
will be added unto you. All of this other stuff that we get wrapped up in, and I'm just as vulnerable and subject to it as you, all the riches and the comfort, <laughs> whatever, of this world, it's all idol worship. You can't worship God while at the same time giving in, bending a knee to those things. You can't serve God and serve those temptations at the same time. So God reveals himself to us in many ways, but there's hardly anything as special as this book right here. And what this book is, is, is one of the primary means that God has revealed to us himself and his will for humankind. This is no small thing in this book. There are just so many things that scripture reveals to us that we wouldn't otherwise know. What I'm trying to help you understand this morning is that the world has got all of these, I mean, even within the church, just these, these ideas and these theories and this wisdom that, that pervades our lives, things that are just simply untrue, and yet, are, you know, we feel like they're true. And we can trust in our gut, or we can trust in our experience, or we can trust in our own understanding, or we can trust in the Word of God. And we can't do both. We cannot do both. And in the Christian life, really, it requires full surrender to the will of God put forth in this book. It's not even full commitment. You see, because when I commit, I'm still in control. I'm choosing what to give. But full surrender, I just, I'm giving my whole self to you, God. I'm believing what you say. And I'm going to live accordingly. <laughs> this book contains all truth necessary for salvation. And friends, you got to get in this book. There's no other book that contains all truth necessary for salvation. I can guarantee you that. And man, how I would love for you to know God. I'm gonna give you, in our final few minutes here, um, some practical advice. For those of you who, who don't live in scripture, for those of you who feel like this is a, a high task, high calling, you know, whatever, like there's just, who, who are intimidated by this book, I get it, I'm with you. I'm just gonna give you some simple steps, that, uh, some ideas. You know, Spencer last week, like he pulled up the chair and he said, if I was at a coffee shop with you, I'd love to tell you, you know, a few things. Um, as a pastor, how to get started. So here we go. If I were you, I'm not condemning this practice, but if I were you, I would tell you, don't read the Bible in a year. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a good, I mean, in fact, I, I feel like I should read the Bible in a year at some point, but it's because I, I would love to get a full survey front to back of the Bible, you know, now that I've read it in pieces. But, but to start, that's just a horribly um, ineffective way to go through scripture, to read you know, every little word just once and then not go back to it again. It's, it's not effective. So what I would tell you is that less is more. If you're gonna read the Bible every day, which you ought to, pick a, 
a verse, pick a chapter, or just pick a book and stick with it for as long as you need to, to eat it up and internalize it and know it. There are Psalms that I've, that I've been in now for six months because they're just still speaking to my soul. And you could bet, and you'd bet right, that I know those Psalms by heart now. How could I not? I read them every day. So that's a great way to get started. Just pick something, read until something speaks to you and then stay there until it's not speaking to you anymore, okay? Second is this, listen to scripture if that's easier for you. Most people couldn't read until the, the printing press and you know, 500 years ago. So for the first 1500 years of the Christian church, uh, 99% of the Christian population received the word by people reading it, by speaking it. And so get the Bible app and just click play and you can pick what voice you want and hear it in your car. Have it, there's nothing, it's not like it's better to read it on the pages than it is to hear it. So listen to it if that helps you. Um, memorize scripture. Download the scripture memory app. There's one. There's an app called Dwell. It costs money, but there are some really cool features uh, for helping you memorize scripture. You can put the same scripture on repeat while you're at the gym. There are all sorts of, memorize it, internalize it. Jesus clearly did. Here's the one that I think is most uh, interesting. It's been most impactful for me. Teach it. I kid you not, I have learned scripture almost solely through preaching. <laughs> kind of scary on the one hand, but that they let me preach. <laughs> but I'm glad they did. I'm glad that they recognize, hey, you know, we got a preacher here. He may not know a ton of script, but he can start with one scripture, right? I remember like five and a half, almost six years ago now, I preached my first sermon and it's like, I don't have any clue what I'm doing, but, but I know God and I can just, I can focus on this one scripture and, you know, we learn best by teaching. And so find a space. I mean, not all of you can you know, preach, but find a space where you can like reformulate, regurgitate the types of things that you're taking in in this book and you know, repackage it so that other people will understand. And I'm telling you, you'll never forget it. I have internalized the content in the scripture of every sermon that I've ever preached. And that's that's a really good foundation there, you know? It forces you to really learn some things you wouldn't otherwise learn. And uh, teach a Sunday school lesson, you know? Lead a small group study. Teach your kids. Or uh, just practice like what I do with my wife. I probably come across as a know-it-all, but use the words, uh, you know, did you know? It's like every time I learn something new, you know, did you know? And because I'm, I'm constantly trying to be able to explain the very thing that God has spoken into my life. And so I internalize it and it stays with me, right? And so that's just a really good practice. And then here's um, the last little bit of wisdom is obey it. Submit to it. Surrender to it. Um, there are some really challenging things in the book. And you know, to don't, be, don't be ignorant. Don't be, uh, you know, seek the counsel um, of wise counselors, of spirit-filled people who are very clearly living in the way of Christ. But obey it. When something is very clear, I mean, there's more things in this book are clear than things that are not, okay? And I promise you, you will be blessed. And uh, in, in being blessed, what happens? You become a blessing.
you become a blessing. This is the way of Christ. This is the way of service and selflessness and sacrifice. This is the Christian life. Can't do it apart from this book. Open it up. Make it your own story. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. How gracious of you, how kind of you to reveal yourself in the pages of scripture, to include us in your story. You could have created all of this and you never had to let us know what was going on or why we were here. You never had to let us know why we were created, but you did. You never had to reveal yourself, but you have, and you continue to. We praise you that you are the only God and that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. I pray a special blessing upon uh, our church this week that everyone in here uh, would have the hunger, the desire, the conviction to open up their Bibles this week and that that practice would not be futile, that it would not be empty, but that you would show up and that you would speak a word of life. We humble ourselves before you this morning. We submit to your word. And if we can't submit or surrender yet, we're just honest about that and we say we're not ready, but we're, we're gonna be honest with you. We're gonna trust you. Because we want to be not only like Christ, we want to be uh, in Christ and Christ in us for all the world so that the whole world might know you and the whole world might see your glory. We want to live a life that is not for ourselves, for a purpose that is so much greater than ourselves. We want to get outside of ourselves and to be perfected in your love. May your word abide in us in love, in truth, in power. It's in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen. You know, I came to know the Lord when I was about 17 years old, so um, had, I've had people pouring into me since then, um, and everybody pretty much who's ever poured into me has known Scripture pretty well, and so it's been something that's instilled in me. So I started with like, just like memorizing one or two verses a week for about, for about two years. A lot of that has become really useful in not only sharing the gospel, but also discipling people. And so if someone asks me for advice, I think that it's just only better to know God's word and what, what the Lord would say in his word versus my own opinion on something. Because it would be very easy to just be like, I feel like this is true. You could just say, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Uh, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, uh, but being examples to the flock. You should always be in situations where you're the disciple and where you're being discipled. Um, I think that having a mentor or having someone spiritually pouring into you at all times is, is super necessary, and I've been thankful for men being able to do that. 
um, in a fraternity. So right now I'm a um, kind of like in an alumni advisor position because uh, I was I was in the undergrad chapter for four years, and so that was really my platform to do ministry. Uh, when I was in school, I pretty much. Um, started to share the gospel with people who, did, who didn't believe. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. I'm a server at a restaurant, so uh, there's a lot of opportunity there, but it's, it's a dark place, like I said, so. Do you quote scripture to non-Christians, and if so, how do you do it without being a straight-up weirdo? It depends on the situation. So, I would quote scripture to a non-Christian if I was sitting down to explain to them like what I believe, why I believe it. Um, basically, if I'm sharing the gospel with them, if I'm, if I'm telling them about, you know, Christ and what he's done in my life. But if it's just in basic conversation with someone who's not a believer, it's like I don't typically quote scripture in that situation because it doesn't hold the weight or the, the authority in their life that it holds in mine. But it is crucial to be in the Word for yourself and, and also for others. Like It's really like I'm memorizing scripture. Yes, for me, it helps me to fight temptation. It helps me to know what God wants me to do in situations, make decisions. But it also helps me to uh, give others what they're needing and say, hey, look at this, or hey, uh, go read this, or I know that God's word says this, so what decision do you think he would have you make based on his word? You know, the only thing that can transform a human heart is, is scripture and, and the Lord, so.